So what I found during that period of time was that when I had a drink, my anxieties, my panic immediately went away. It was like my best friend telling me, that's crazy. You don't have this or you're, you're not this. Everything's fine. And it was just this calming, complete serenity that overtook me at that time. And, uh, and that, that lasted me for a while that I, that it was, it was a complete solution. It was okay. And it was fully without consequence. And so I proceeded, you know, and before I knew it, it just became a, a daily and nightly habit, which over time developed into your typical alcoholic symptoms of, well, now I'm, now I'm hiding it from people. Now I'm creating these rules for myself, for myself. Uh, you know, I'm not going to drink after five o'clock. I'm not going to drink, uh, uh, on a, on a weekday, I'm not going to drink here. You know, it's almost like you're kind of an alcoholic gremlin. Uh, you know, you don't want to get wet, but, uh, over time it, 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 uh, it developed into that. And over time I would gradually break every single one of those rules. That was Adam Hill. And you are listening to episode 123 of the Yogi triathlete podcast. Welcome back. You guys here. We are again at that place where we share stories of people looking, finding and living their purpose. This pursuit of purpose trickles down from the top as BJ and I are beyond doubt that we have found ours through Yogi Triathlete and her mission to create a better world. This podcast is one of the main ways that we increase connection in the world, and so thank you so much for tuning in. If you're finding that the show is assisting you in making a difference in your life, please become a member of our Patreon community. This is a huge piece of what allows us to continue. We're currently at 18% of our goal, and we are incredibly grateful to all who have stepped up and voiced to us that the show must go on. And so it does. And I'm fired up to share with you our guest today. A bit of a warrior and a little awkward, but otherwise normal, Adam Hill was cruising through life like the best of us. But what he didn't know was that those worries that so many of us see as normal were festering into something much more powerful under the surface. His first full-blown anxiety attack came in college. A quote-unquote out-of-the-blue, irrational fear showed up in his mind and quickly took position in his life as reality. The remnants of this attack, he says, lasted a few weeks. Thinking that he had gotten to the other side by feeding his intellect with evidence to the contrary, he rested easy, but not for long. The anxiety grew, and intense fear overtook him time and again without signs of surrender until... He noticed his anxiety waving the white flag in the presence of alcohol. As his social drinking increased, his temporary relief from anxiety followed. Alcohol brought him serenity. Drinking was his solution to anxiety, and he believed it to be fully beyond consequence. He managed his drinking with very common rules like only drinking on the weekends and never drinking and driving. He was a professional. He was married. He was a dad. He was fully functioning and using alcohol as his consequence-free solution. Over time, like everyone who falls prey to a dependency, he broke all of his rules. He was getting messy with his management. And on a fate-filled morning, which simply started out with a desire to surf, Adam found himself in jail with many consequences to face. Adam's story is one of resiliency and transformation through triathlon and fitness. He went from an overweight, non-athletic, fearful drunk to one of the top age group triathletes in the world. He believes now that anxiety is a superpower and that the way to the other side of fear is by facing it head on. 
I am honored to share with you our convo with the heavily up-leveled version of a man who met his rock bottom and then rose to the pinnacle of his sport, Adam Hill. All of our all, poten- of all of our potentials. All of our, yes. All of our guests. Are amazing. Especially our guest today. Can we test but, it out? Yeah, I tested it right. out. We're good to go, man. Right. We're rolling. We're rolling now into this combo. All right, Adam, thank you so much for coming down from San Clemente. We're basically neighbors. Yeah, it is absolutely my pleasure. There's I'm just like a marine base between us and you. Yeah, it's full protection. Yeah, full, full, <laughs> we're fully protected from one another. Yeah. But then when we want to come together, that's not a problem that's either. Right, yeah. And we just yeah. Get, we get the sound of freedom constantly around us. I know, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Yeah, well, thanks for taking a uh, taking a trip down here today. So we're going to dive right in. And you're a coach, you're a triathlete, but you are also somebody, you're a human, who has gone through a big transformation. And that's what I want to dive right into. And your transformation really was, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it was fueled by pain associated with, with alcohol. That's correct, yeah. Yeah, 100%? Yeah. 100%. Yeah. And, yeah. and I mean, and, and when, I, when we talk about alcohol being that, it, it was just a symptom of, you know, the deeper issues of just the obsessive personality, the anxiety. And uh, that just became my solution to, to deal and to cope with that. And, uh, and yeah, it was a big part of my life, big part of my story. Yeah. I mean, do you remember, do you remember the first time you had a drink? I do. Uh, you know, I was probably about 16 years old. I had a, uh, I, I was with a couple of people. I'm not going to mention any names. <laughs> but I was, you know, I was uh, uh, with, with friends, very comfortable environment. And there was beer. I had a beer and I had, uh, I drank half of it and I put it down and I never thought of it again. That was the last experience that I can remember having a normal experience with alcohol in terms of, of having that memory and thinking about how normal drinkers might have a drink. They might have a half a beer and say, yeah, okay, that's enough for me. I can never, ever think like that again. That's just not, I mean, after having, having gone into the uh, experiences I've gone into with alcohol, I can't even picture myself ever doing that again, having half a beer and putting it down. It's just, it, it's uh, my entire mindset on it has changed. So what happened after that half a beer? Like well, you're saying that's the last time you remember just being able to do that. That's yeah. Basically I, I'd uh, gone on a couple years without touching alcohol at all. And at that time in my life, I, you know, I was a teenager. I was fairly normal, didn't have any real issues. I was a bit of a worrier, but no real anxiety or anything like any problems like that. Uh, just, just a bunch of a wor- a bit of a worrier, uh, not very, uh, social necessarily kind of awkward around mostly girls. And, <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, I, I basically went on and, and, and kind of lived a normal life, went to college and started, started drinking more socially. And it was still somewhat normal in the sense that everybody around me was drinking very similarly. Uh, you know, it, it was it was our first time of freedom, so there was nothing out of the ordinary about getting drunk on a weekend, and and you know, and th- and that being a normal occurrence. Um, and it was probably somewhere around my early twenties when I heard, had my first serious panic anxiety attack, and it just blew me away because I didn't know what it was. Can you describe it? Do you remember it? I do. I was uh, in my sitting in my apartment. I was alone and basically studying for probably biology or chemistry or something like that. I was just, I was simply studying and it it just 
came over me like a wave. It was just this immense fear and panic. And it, it was debilitating. It was paralyzing. And I just kind of got down on the floor. And what that, the, 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 the topic of the, of the fear, the panic, is really insignificant. It was just this, this matter of, of my, my brain latched on to something specific. And it took hold with this just immense and debilitating fear. And what, what, the, what the topic was is I, it was probably because of something I was studying, but I, I just came to this realization that, wow, I've, I've, got, I've, I've got AIDS. And now I didn't have AIDS, but I just, it just, it, it, it was, it's this irrational fear and this irrational anxiety. And I, and I bring it up specifically because I just want to specify how irrational it is and how, uh, how kind of crazy it seems. Uh, because I wasn't, there was no reason for me to assume that a normal person wouldn't really assume that of, of themselves if, if, uh, if they didn't have a reason to be so. And I certainly didn't have a reason. I wasn't, uh, I wasn't taking inter- intravenous drugs or, and I wasn't, uh, promiscuous in any way or anything like that. So, but it was, it was just still this immense reality in my head and it, and it was all consuming. And it, it, so it was this panic attack. It lasted all night and, uh, and the remnants of it the lasted for just the, just the general anxiety about and the certainty of it lasted for a couple of weeks until I was able to, you know, get tested and reassure myself that everything was okay. And uh, Oh, but isn't that so interesting how the mind works? Like, oh, if I get tested and I find out that I don't have it, which you already knew you didn't, then everything will be okay. Right. But right. it wasn't because that was that test, that that result of that test did not heal the anxiety that was art that was still brewing under the surface. Exactly. Yeah. And the next week it became cancer and the next week it became the police are after me for something. And it was always irrational, something that, that, and, and I didn't, and, and the thing is I didn't know what it was. I just thought I was crazy. So I couldn't talk to anybody about it because in my mind, you know, I can't tell people that, you know, I, I, they, they would just think I'm crazy. And, uh, um, but as I, when I got older and when I realized um, what, that, that I had a generalized anxiety disorder, that uh, I realized that millions of Americans have the same problem and have this disorder. And, uh, uh, and it's, I wasn't alone. I, was, I wasn't unique in, the, in this way. It's just when it manifested itself at that time. And it happened to manifest itself at a time that I was getting into you know, some extreme social drinking. So what I found during that period of time was that when I had a drink, my anxieties, my panic immediately went away. It was like my best friend telling me, that's crazy. You don't have this or you're, you're not this. Everything's fine. And it was just this calming, complete serenity that overtook me at that time. And, uh, and that, that lasted me for a while, that, I, that it, was, it was a complete solution. It was okay. And it was fully without consequence. And so I proceeded, you know, and before I knew it, it just became a, a daily and nightly habit, which over time developed into your typical alcoholic symptoms of, well, now I'm, now I'm hiding it from people. Now I'm creating these rules for myself, for myself. Uh, you know, I'm not going to drink after five o'clock. I'm not going to drink, uh, uh, on a, on a weekday. I'm not going to drink here. You know, it's almost like you're kind of an alcoholic gremlin. Uh, you know, you don't want to get wet. But uh, over time, it, 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 uh, it developed into that, and over time, I would gradually break every single one of those rules. 
and uh, and that's kind of how it how it manifests itself where it's 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 this complete and perfect solution until it's not anymore and now it's just creating more problems than it than it solved oh it absolutely just blows everything up mm-hmm. and nobody around you saw the moment the momentum the the, the picking up of the quantity and the and the you know the the time like you were starting to have it more and more nobody saw that well my wife my wife did and certainly i mean when i was uh when i was younger my friends had experienced it but in such a way i was like dude you were a little crazy last night so you know chill it out but you know my wife experienced this with me since i from the very beginning and she stuck with me and and stayed with me and uh um you know to her you know to her great credit, and and you know she's a wonderful and beautiful woman for doing that. But for what I put her through, it was very, very. It's something that you know it's always obviously very hard for me to uh, to live with and everything. But trying to make that up to her, obviously over over time. But she loves you. Uncon- that's yeah. That's unconditional love. She right. loves you without condition. Yeah, she's an amazing support. And, and she's, yeah. if she loves you without condition, which clearly she does. She doesn't need you to make up for anything. Right. <laughs> I'm sure she would yeah. be the first. I don't know your wife. I've never met her, but I just feel like she would be the first one to say, like, you getting to where you are today is everything that she could ever want for you. Because she just wants it to, to see it for you, for, for you to experience the joy in life that is your right. Right. Yeah. And, it, and it really is. It's, it's our story. It's not just my story with this. It's our, it's our story and, and our our struggle and it doesn't just involve me because it was us living together, you know, with it. And, uh, and so she saw that frequently and, and she would always, and, and on occasion, you know, she would bring up the idea, you know, you need to, you know, go get help and things like that. And I would for a while and then, you know, but it wouldn't be, it, it wouldn't be because I was deliberately making that choice. I still had this, this anxiety that I, that I didn't know what it was and how to, how to, how to work with it. It wasn't until I was really ready, and that's that's one of the key points about about uh, uh, about alcoholism or any kind of obsession that you have that is dangerous or debilitating. Because really, again, alcohol is just a symptom. If it's if it's gambling, if it's sexual addiction, if it's any kind of addiction, it's an obsession that is is part of a, a bigger uh, a bigger set of symptoms that are, exist that you that, that that need to be resolved, and that's what needed to happen with me, and. Um, and so, yeah, over, over time, she, she lived with that, too, and, and, and uh, she had to deal with a lot of that. So what was your rock bottom? Because obviously you had something happen that, that woke you up. Was it one event, or was it over time? Were you having those conversations with yourself of, like, I don't want to do this anymore, but you just were still doing it? Right. Well, yeah, when you, when you start to create rules for yourself. Oh, yeah, those are red right. flags. Yeah, you're, you're starting to realize something's up, and that's where, uh, you know, we were talking about ego a little bit earlier, but that's where the ego comes in, is because you're trying to convince yourself that you oh, don't have a problem, that and so ego. the ego's a big part of it. Our yoga teacher calls the ego the little bastard. <laughs> yeah. Little bastard. And he, and he, and he always... Like make sh- like when he teaches about the ego, it's always about you. But it's a little bastard. But it's not one that you beat away. Mm-hmm. You don't get. You can't get mad at it because that's the ego too. Mm-hmm. To yeah. get mad at the ego is the ego coming in the back door. Right. So it's like it's just seeing it for what it is. And the ego is this, is this force of energy that we are all susceptible to because we live as humans on this earth, and. It will do anything 
to keep you in dissatisfaction, in conflict, in strife in your life because it needs to keep you separate. Mm -hmm. Right. (laughs) It needs to keep you separate. It needs to keep you either the victim, the victimizer, um, you know, your family, my family. Separation is is its lifeline. And so it needs to be seen as a, it needs you to see yourself as a separate autonomous being. I've got a problem with alcohol. It's my problem. Nobody, right? Like you were feeling the isolation at the beginning until you realize that, whoa, wait a minute, I'm not alone. And the moment you realize you're not alone, the ego is like, oh boy. So it will, it will be, it will muscle up to, to counteract the fact that you're starting to wake up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And you'll even have more resistance. Right. Yeah. And, and it was just this convincing, convincing of myself that no, no, alcohol is the only solution that I have for myself that I can stay functional in this way. And I convinced myself that I was functional because I was still going to work. I was still, you know, a father. I still had a wife, <laughs> you know, <laughs> even though I had the most amazing woman with me at the, at the time um, and, and patient and everything that was, you know, it, it was still convincing me, you know, that, that was a, 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 one way of convincing myself of some kind of normalcy. But, you know, in speaking of these rules that I created for myself, um, you know, not drinking before 5 p.m., not uh, drinking on the weekdays. Uh, you know, one of those big ones that I never broke was drinking and driving. I never broke that rule. And uh, that was one of the things that convinced me that I was okay until one day I, I did. And at some point after that, I was uh, um, in an accident while drunk and uh, I was arrested and was sitting in jail, you know, the fog kind of clearing from my head. And just realizing that um, that I, I that I had no I had no solution that this was this just wasn't working and now it was a danger to other people, and it just it it broke me down completely. I mean, it's just this 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 imagination that you've kind of got everything under under control, and then it all breaking apart and realizing that I, I have absolutely no control not over my life not over other people's lives and affecting this and I just thought there in the jail of how I just wanted to, wanted to die. And, uh, I, I didn't want to, um, I didn't want to commit suicide. I just wanted, I just wanted to be taken. I wanted my life to be taken at that point. And I realized that if I, if, if, if I have to remain on this earth and I have to, I have to manage, uh, my life and, and, and learn a new way to live with, my anxiety and, and, and kick the alcohol, I needed to get help. And, um, so I did, I, I, I went into Alcoholics Anonymous and, um, that's how I began to recover from alcohol. And when I went in there with complete willingness, when I, and, and it's not just AA and I'm not promoting any kind of recovery because there, there are many different kinds, but, but giving myself willingly to some kind of program of sobriety, where I could give up that control and, and realize that there was a higher power that that something bigger than myself, something bigger than alcohol that that I could depend upon to help me through this. That was where I began to get my serenity back and began to feel the serenity that I first felt when I had that first drink, and you know I felt that that serenity. It, so it, that that was an amazing revolution revelation. Um, that you know, higher power would would help me through this. I, I had to have a higher power because alcohol became my higher power. 
Oh, yeah. And, and alcohol is going to keep you from that true higher power, mm-hmm. which is within you. Right. It just dumbs it down. It clouds it out. And because you are loved unconditionally by that higher power, you were put in that accident. Mm-hmm. You were arrested. You were given that opportunity to say, oh, my God, I'm done. Yeah. I'm done. There's got to be another way. And that's what it did. And the willingness, like you said, willingness. Like, willingness is everything. Mm-hmm. You have to be willing because if you're not willing, the change is not going to, it's not going to be sustainable. And you experience that as well. Absolutely. Yeah, so that, I love the opportunity, right? So you asked what was his low point, but it's actually like your, your, your biggest Ha- not happiest, but it's like it's, it's kind of one of the best things that ever happened to th- you. Yeah, yes. the best thing. Like <laughs> yeah. this is such an opportunity. What? So that day you drove home, like so you promised yourself you never would do that. So what was it on that day? Was there was there something on that day that was like I just got to get home and get in the car and like was there any sort of higher power putting you in that car in that instance? Because it sounds like you didn't do it up until this point. Yeah, it, I mean, it, it just and it demonstrates how um, how bad it got for me because this this happened in the morning and I went out surfing. I like to just have a couple beers before I would go out surfing, and all, honestly, I mean, uh, my my history with alcohol involves blackouts, and that's where my mind was the whole time was blacked out. So, going back to that control issue, I don't even know how or why I got in the car to drive home, and. Um, and and how how that to, how I how I got how I got to that level. So it was more than a couple beers. Yes, it was. How many beers do you think you had that day? Do you remember? I don't know. I don't know if it was just beer or e- either. I mean, it was yeah. it was uh, probably a, a bit more than that. <sighs> yeah, it was. Um, but uh, it it uh, yeah put me to the point where I was above a point two, um, and uh, that that's well above the legal limit. That, that, so it's so interesting. Like it just. It took you out of awareness because you had to black out. It, right. it, it like dove in, said, "We're gonna wipe you out, and then we're gonna put you in this cell." Yeah. And now you now now you have a chance to to wake up and, and detoxify, and then now you have a now you have the opportunity to choose, Adam. Right. Like you have the the opportunity to choose what your next step is. Mm-hmm. But I think it had to black you out in that instance. Yeah. Otherwise, <laughs> right. yeah, like that higher <laughs> power like, is like, oh, okay, I'm only half. Like I'm only at point seven, you know, yeah. like or whatever the. We got to get this dude to safety, yeah, right. which is what happened. You got to safety. I did, yeah. And then you, and then you chose to keep walking towards that. Yeah. You kept walking towards that safety in your life. So, you bent, you say something in your um, quest for Kona video, and we'll put a link to this in the in the show notes for the show. But you say like, there's so much more to a transformation than a before and after picture, mm-hmm. because you look like two totally different people. Right. You really do. You still look like a triathlete now, of course. I feel uh, like a different person. Yeah, yeah, you are a different person. Um, so was it, were, were you just filled with the will to change or was it rocky? Like, did it get sticky and mucky? And like, did you ever want to walk away and say, I can't do this anymore? It's too much. Because I think there's like this idea that, oh, they got sober. Oh my God, so great. They got sober. They're, you know, oh, we had an intervention. They're so, it's like, wait a minute. They're, we're walking into the lion's den now mm-hmm. because they've been keeping themselves away from everything that they need to heal. Mm-hmm. And so now here you are sober and all your stuff is showing up. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and 
typically people don't get sober in the best times of their lives. <laughs> so, uh, you know, <laughs> and so for me, I was facing a ton of legal issues. I was facing oh. jail time. I was facing, oh. you know, a lot of different uh, uh, things that I never thought I'd ever have to have to face. And that's, again, where the program of sobriety came in for me, where I was, where I was working a program and working with a fellowship of people that were sharing similar circumstances or had been through what I'd been through. And I latched on to people with 25 years, 30 years of sobriety so that I could make sure that I stayed, you know, that, that I stayed sober from every, every single day. And uh, it, was, it wasn't easy, but uh, in sobriety, they talk about this pink cloud that kind of comes over you when you have that, you know, those first few days, weeks, months of sobriety. And I certainly experienced that where it was just like, where it was this overwhelming joy and, and peace and, and, and motivation to, to stay mm. and keep doing work in the program. And, and that everything else, all of the potential... Uh, obstacles that I was facing, you know, that that's that's all just, you know, that that's everything else. I'm not worried about that. Sobriety is number one, and uh, um, but it's it's kind of once that complacency sets in and, and oh, yeah. all that goes down, where it does become challenging. It gets real. Yeah. So for that first year, you know, once I got through all of the legal stuff, once I got through all of that, and you know, it became clear that everything was, you know, the, the heat was off that's where it kind of gets the most dangerous again to, you know, relapse and, and all that. I, um, so I made sure and I was, st- I stayed in the program because I still had this motivation to do so. But I realized that after, after about a year of sobriety, uh, that, uh, that I wanted, that I realized, you know, this is the first time in my entire, since I've been 18 years old, that I've been sober for anything longer than a month, let alone a year. And so that's amazing. It's something I've never thought that I'd be able to do. You know, so what else can I, what, what can I do now that, that I never thought that I could do, you know, that, that I can keep this motivation going because I, 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 I saw that, you know, I, I didn't want to get to a place where I'm just kind of spinning wheels and, and, you know, just, just doing this, doing this thing. I wanted to test myself and make sure that I can continue to improve upon who I was. I, um, and that involved getting healthier, generally speaking, uh, you know, changing my diet, my lifestyle. I was living off of peanut M&Ms and, you know, Reese's peanut butters cups from, for that time before that and all that. And that was, yeah, nachos and all all that good stuff. I was, (laughs) (laughs) I was overflowing over my belt. It was, it was uh, pretty, pretty nasty, but, uh, but, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to start making a change and, um, and I just had, I had just had a uh, shoulder surgery to correct a, an injury that I'd had just pushing too hard. You know, I, I, I used to get these brief and, and powerful motivations to go out and exercise and I would go, you know, run, run as fast as I could or do like a bunch of pull-ups and just try and test how much I could do in that one session. And then wreck yourself. Totally For the next myself. few days. Yeah. Oh, yeah. My God. Oh, was, my God. Totally. That was my exercise routine always for, for in, in, in throughout history. And, you know, this is another another instance where of being kind of thrown into a situation where it was forcing patience and, and forcing me to kind of depend on that higher power being forced into it. Because I had this uh, shoulder surgery. I couldn't do anything for a few months, but that's exactly when I had the motivation. Hey, I want to start, you know, getting healthy again. And so I had to do it in such a way that I eased into it, and I eased into it with my diet first. Changed my diet just to eat completely clean and uh, and and all of that. 
and um, and exercise obviously had to take the back burner because I wasn't I wasn't allowed to do anything. But in that state, I, I, I had remembered back to about a decade earlier when I was when I was uh, watching uh, watching television, and I was watching the Ironman World Championship way in the early two thousands or something like that. Um, and I remembered at that time that um, that I was totally inspired by all these people that seemed normal, that seemed like everyday people that were over and they were overcoming their own specific challenges, and to cross this great finish line. And I was just totally inspired by it. But I I had that that inkling that everybody says, you know, what they say when they see that, right? I mean, you've probably heard it when you tell them that you've done Ironmans. They say. I can never do something like that. Oh, I know. Yeah. That's the first word. <laughs> and we always say, of course you could. And the right. next thing is, I can't swim. I can never swim. Yep, that's right. it. Like, yeah, it's right. always yeah. the swim. <laughs> right? So enter ego. Yeah. Right? Enter, enter your There's story. no way right? that ego is going to let you start to discover what you're capable of. And then you start, and then because you're, you're stronger than the ego, right? You continue to follow this calling. Mm-hmm. Then the ego goes, oh, well, I can still work my way in here. Right. I can yeah. still make them petrified on the swim. I can throw in a panic attack. I can, you know, yeah. give them a flat, see how they handle that, right? right. So it's like the ego. Yeah, you got to be like, on high alert. That like little stick, bastard's everywhere. Around, I mean, yeah, he's like, yeah, he's like, <laughs> like right at your hip. He's like right, yeah, right there. It's like, always there. It's like a shadow. It's, it's our shadow self. That's exactly what it is. It's that shadow self. Yeah. Um, so you get this hit of like remembering that. And right. so how, how does that memory now translate to, to where? Are you still saying like I could never do that? Are you saying like, wait a minute. Well, that's where the shift happened. It was, uh, you know, with that with that year of sobriety, where I never thought that I'd be able to do that. Never thought that I'd be able to stop drinking, and uh, and then I, you know, I, I I realized, you know what, I can I can do that. And I, I thought to myself, why couldn't I do that? Why not? And you know that I can't turned into why not. And um, and so I I immediately started researching Ironman. And uh, and how I can you know start to start to do something like that because my first instinct is all right I'm gonna have to get a bike and ride as hard as I can learn to swim swim as hard course, as I can run as hard as I can that's your natural <laughs> right process I love it yeah but fortunately I I, uh, I wasn't um, I wasn't in a condition to be able to do that at that point and so I started off by kind of sheepishly sheepishly going to my wife and saying and you know assuming that she would say no way you're crazy. And saying, you know, I think I want to do an Ironman, and you know, keep in mind, I'm, I'm no, I have no business doing an Ironman at this point. And she said, Yeah, I think you should. And I was like, I was, I, I think if, if we had like a room behind us, I would have like fallen back like 20 feet. But uh, I was so taken aback by that, that it, and realized that I've got the support, and it was like, Oh crap! Now I've actually got to do it. Yes, and yeah. that's, you know, I believe that in those. We've had those moments before too. I mean, we're mm-hmm. sitting in this little studio by the beach that made no sense that we should be able to rent it. Like we're sitting in the office and we're like, we don't have jobs. We've been living out of our car for six months. She's like, great, when do you want to move in? Yeah. I mean, like there's just those moments where you're like, this is not going to happen. Like this is, and then it just happens. Like she just, that was that speaking through her going, yeah, you should definitely do that. Right. Yeah. And, and it's always, it was amazing. And, and from right there, just having that little inkling of support, that small amount of encouragement just, you know, led me to say, okay, yeah, let's, let's do it full force forward. And so I started researching it and, I, and in my initial research, it was really easy to fall upon a guy named, uh, Mark Allen, who of course you guys know, uh, six time Ironman world champion. And, uh, and I thought, all right, if I'm going to do this, I want to figure out how, how, how to do it the right way. And the reason I kind of latched on to Mark Allen, because, you know, you could have gone to Dave Scott or you could have gone to somebody else. But 
Mark Allen struggled in this sport for a long time until he started working with a guy named Phil Maffetone and started learning the Maffetone method. And then all of a sudden, you know, he started winning them, winning these championships, beating Dave Scott and doing all of this. And, and, uh, and, and so I was like, okay, there seems to be some kind of something there. And so I started looking into Phil Maffetone and really, really digging into that and following his diet plans and then finding a coach who, who, who actually I went with Mark Allen online at the time as a coach, started following the Maffetone method, started off really easy and learned the process of this easy meditative training that really started to, to uh, really had amazing benefits really quickly for me, like after I was able to actually start working out. And, you know, that's, that's where the physical transformation for me started to take place. And it was just this, and it was just this, you know, aha moment to, to recognize that, uh, to, that, that, that worked for me. Yeah. Which is so different because that's how we big believers in, in the Maffetone method. And, and for those that don't know, it's, it's basically everything, every, all you people that want to go hard all the time and get these really intense exercise, like training sessions in, it's actually like stepping back. Yeah. And like doing a pace that you can keep all day for the majority of your training. And then there's different tweaks and twists on the, on the strategy. But this is so different from what you were doing. Mm-hmm. Like the push-ups like, and the pull-ups, like going all in. <laughs> now you're switching it and just totally coming back. Because this is, a, this is an ego check for your training, right? Right. Like for most athletes. And you're a coach too. So I'm sure like you come across athletes that are like, you want me to run all week at this one like pace and it's like yes this is what it is so it's gotta you gotta have that faith and belief but i think this is the the perfect time for you to dive into something like this because this is not only is the iron man going to challenge you but like stepping back from that going hard all the time is going to challenge you even more right yeah and it it was it, it and that's and that was the beautiful thing about it. I, I recognize that there's there's so so much beauty in in threes in things that have threes. You know, triathlon. You know, obviously there's three sports in it, but just just finding that uh, um, uh, you know finding that that you could find this peace, serenity, and acceptance in that. You know, the following of the heart rate and meeting it with your cadence and your and uh, your breathing. You know, and just just finding these th- these wonderful little tidbits in 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 what Maffetone was teaching and. Um, and backing it off, like you're saying, it, it, it forced into me this patience and acceptance that was such a beautiful supplement to sobriety and keeping that ego in check because I didn't have any kind of uh, uh, um, aspirations aside from the fact that I'd seen it on television and I saw it in Hawaii, but I didn't think like, hey, I'm gonna, I want to go to Hawaii at that point. But, uh, but as soon as I kind of figured out that there was a... That, that there that there was this formula and that I could follow it patiently I realized that I could keep getting better and improve upon it um, and and maybe one day I'd be able to kind of you know reach the pinnacle of of the sport in that way and find my, my how I could be my best and that was important. so what was your first Ironman that you did I like, did Cabo San Lucas in 2014 2014 and so that race backed up to the moment that you said to your wife, I think I'm going to do an Ironman. And she said, yeah. And you're like, okay, now I got to do it. Yeah. What's that span? That was about uh, 13 months. 13 months. So a little over a year. Nice. Yeah. So big transformation. Yeah. Were you, At this time, were you like looking back and just saying, like, the sobriety is such a gift because it's like, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but were you looking back and saying like, if I can do that, I can do. Like if I can get sober. 
I can totally do this. Yeah. I mean, it was, that, that was kind of it. It was, it was just this, this reaffirming confidence. Cause I lived with myself for 15, you know, over 15 years thinking to myself, well, I can't do this because I've failed at it so often. I can't stop drinking. And so I had such a lack of self-confidence. Oh, and there's no power in that. Yeah. It's very victim, very constant, victim. Yeah, constant anxiety and, and just this, these, uh, these overwhelming uh, attacks of panic and, and, uh, and realizing that I couldn't overcome that. And it, it, that, was, that was real, you know. So, so I didn't, so having that, being able to get sober and realizing that I had a community to help me get sober that led me to believe that I can do anything as long as I have that support mechanism. Yeah, the support is huge. Mm-hmm. And I, the support constantly reminds us that we're not alone because we are all just trying to figure this out. So before we turned on the mics, I was telling you how I um, co-facilitate this online meditation and mindful living. And the other women that I facilitate it with, we always say to them, like, we're not on a pedestal. Like, we're a few train stations up, but we're all just trying to figure this out. And right. as, we get, as we get more information... As we go deeper into our practice, we, we share that with you. And then what resonates, resonates, you know, but it's, we're all just trying to figure this out and we've all got our own journeys to get where we need to go. And, you know, Iron Man is such an ultimate journey of transformation where I think we're, no matter where you start, if you were an athlete, like to take it up to Iron Man level is huge. Mm-hmm. So 13 months, you went from having shoulder surgery and not working out to doing an Ironman. So how did that first Ironman go for you in Cabo? It went really well. I didn't, I didn't really know what to expect. Of course, we're always, you're always uh, setting oh, time. The first things, one is yeah. ignorance is bliss. <laughs> right. Based on my training numbers, I should be able to come in around 1130. That's right. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you get there on that marathon, you're like, oh, geez. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, nutrition. <laughs> well, it was, I mean, it was just such a, it was such a, cool experience to show up there and 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 you you you, when you arrive at at the Ironman location as as you guys have uh you just get this amazing sense it's like Olympic Village and and you're just like around all this energy and so I felt that um but I I I I had these dreams of what where I wanted to finish of course I wanted to by that time you know based on my training numbers I wanted to uh, it was, you know, a pie in the sky goal. I really wanted to be in a slot in a, in a close to Kona. And, um, and I ended up, uh, uh, doing, doing really well for a first time. And, you know, I swam about a one ten, which is about where I'm, where I'm at and, uh, biked about a five thirty two uh, in a hilly, the hilly course. And so I was happy with that and getting on the marathon it was brutally hot. And I remember everything, everything was pretty, pretty, uh, uh you know, it wasn't, it wasn't very exciting. I mean, not, not, nothing very exciting to report until I hit mile 19 of the marathon where I was in a porta potty for about five or 10 minutes. And it was just, you know, the, my stomach just gave up on me and I just went in there and I remember getting into the porta potty and just this wave of heat. I mean, it was 90 oh, degrees Nothing's outside. hotter than a porta potty. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like this terrible <laughs> rancid humidity. And <laughs> I go in there. And the sweat just immediately comes to the surface of my body and like all of the liquid is, it comes out of my pores and I just sat down and, and I'm about to pass out. I'm like, oh, this is great. So this is how I die in a porta potty on the course of an Ironman. Somebody's going to come in here and find some gringo passed out in, in here, like with his pants around his ankles. On Thursday. Cool. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> on Thursday. And they clean out the porta potty. Why is this thing locked? Jeez. Yeah. Oh, well. But yeah, and so that that was my that was my first like thought in there, and then I, I um, you know finished 
up and got out and started running again. And uh, it must have felt <laughs> like a like a cold front when you came out of that thing. It was, yeah. But it, it's just it's just this amazing feeling, though. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, it would be a feeling of of ninety degrees has never felt so good coming out of a pork body. But uh, yeah. it's amazing how how low you can get in Ironman and how you can you can get out there and start running again. Yeah, like that the extremes is is just amazing. It's it's totally I mean the whole the whole race is a journey of just ups and downs and at that point I was thinking to myself, okay, well, you know, I've I've done 100 something miles and now I still have 10k to go. And oh my god, that's the longest 10k you're ever going to experience. And so I I slogged through it and I ended up finishing in 10:45 and um and I I was I mean at that point I was hooked. I was absolutely elated and, and just amazed that I could get done in in that uh in that time, and um, and and I, I was hooked. I mean, at, at the finish line, I was thinking to myself, okay, well, you know, I I, I know I, I didn't get it now, but I think now I, if I keep on this path, maybe I have a chance at, at actually going to Kona at some point. So I'm really going to try for that. And uh, and yeah, that's where the bug really began to, to take me in that direction. Because you've got the evidence now that like you're in you're in the mix. Ten forty five at your first. Iron Man, when you know nothing, you know, is, um, that's pretty darn good. Yeah. So what was the next one? Next one was, uh, Boulder actually. And that was a little tougher because of the altitude. I did a little bit better, but I was still about the 1036 range and everything that, uh, um, but yeah, the marathon killed me on that one. That was, that's a tough marathon. <laughs> is that, that's when they had it on just, you had to go to the high school. Right? Yeah. There were two transitions. Yeah. Yeah. And you started there. Yeah. This is the first year they had the, tr- the transition both transitions at the res. Oh, they had a single transition. So you ran transition. from the res to downtown. Wow. But I like what you were doing better. I yeah. feel like there was more activity. Yeah. Oh, it was people. constant. Yeah. With the, with this crowd support and, uh, and yeah, it was crowd support and shade. I mean, most of the way. So that was yes. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. And the Creek bed. So you could just jump in the water if you wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's totally. And then you were like, okay, I got to keep going. Yeah, yeah. So then was Santa Rosa your third? No, Santa Rosa was, uh, the, the, Qualifying race at Santa Rosa for Quest for Kona was my seventh. Seventh? Yeah. So it was lucky number seven. So between 2004... Okay, so you did... Did about two a year. Two a year? Yeah. Okay, well, what what did you do? So I did... uh, After Boulder, I did uh, Texas and Boulder again the following year in 2015. Uh, 2016, I did did Vine Man when it was Vine Man. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, that was my first, the first time I broke 10 hours. Mm-hmm. And so I really felt good about that. Got sixth place there, one slot away from a Kona slot. Was it, a, was it a roll down? Oh, yeah, no, 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 roll, was, no, no roll no down. It was two slots away. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, I was so close there and it was just like, gosh, that's so close. And then Arizona, same thing. I actually went under 930 there. And uh, that was my next race, but I was in seventh in my age group and didn't roll at all. Um, then it was, then I was going to stop for a year. And just say, you know what, I, I'm kind of burned out on the Ironman thing. Let me do some 70.3s and have some fun. But uh, my wife, who's got, got me in the trouble in the first place in this whole Ironman thing, she showed me this Facebook post about a casting call for a Quest for Kona. And, uh, and I said, yeah, wouldn't it be funny if I just sent in a stupid uh, audition video for that? And she's like, yeah, you should. And I'm like, you got to stop saying that. Yeah, I love this. I love <laughs> she, this girl. She's, that, right? she's the yes voice. <laughs> she is. She's the yes voice. She's the voice that you 
or not picking up on yet, but yeah. she's there. She's like, yes. And Jess is the same for me. It's like, yes, I always answer yes. Right. No, because yes. you had created so much momentum. You were getting closer and closer and closer and closer. And when we, we just went through this with BJ, like he was going to do Santa Rosa this year. And then he was like, well, then I'm just going to do one. But then we're like, no, there's momentum. You got to keep this momentum. Right. And, you know, he's doing more and more and more and he's getting closer and closer and closer. And if you cut that momentum off, it takes so much to get it going again. Mm-hmm. So you kept that momentum going yeah. and you put together your video and. Yeah. Yeah. The video, the uh, Speedo video. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, it was that was that was a lot of fun, kind of getting the family involved, and it, it was one of those things where you know you put it together, not thinking it's going to go anywhere, and you just kind of throw it out there for fun. And I was, I was kind of producing really really stupid YouTube videos at the time anyway, for just for fun, and uh, so we we put that out there, and much to my surprise, I got a call back from the producer saying they wanted an interview, and we did the interview, and it was down to twenty people that they were they were testing, and then uh, we did a second interview, and it was down to eleven people, and they were going to cut it down to ten. And then we were, we were in and, uh, it was, that was the start of another life changing experience for me. Just meeting the people on that show, every single one of them was an absolutely amazing inspiration to me. I mean, they were just, every single one of those episodes was great. And each one of the cast members is, has become a great friend and they're just, they're just great individuals. So that's that's great. And this was under the radar. Like you had to keep this quiet. So for those that don't know the quest for Kona, it's, it's a whole it's this whole process but everything is under the radar it's not like they're publishing like oh here's the 20 people that are selected here's the 10 people right it's it's secret all the way until yeah it yeah you it got was, to the race right right yeah so at least all of the uh, uh, all of the race results and everything they wanted to keep secret they 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 uh, uh, published uh, all of the cast members i think sometime in march or april or okay. something like that they made a big push on that but then they they were quiet like everything was dark for you know, many months after that. And so when I did Santa Rosa, uh, you know, it was this really surreal experience of having, you know, cameras in my face the whole time, which was, I mean, from my ego's perspective, really cool too. But, you know, it was, it was, it was just this kind of surreal, like, whoa, um, you know, I've got to really, uh, I've got to really kind of yeah, make sure it, I'm watching myself and make sure I'm okay. Did that <laughs> elevate your game? Did that, did it have any like people talk about being on the front of the pack in Kona, like, and they get the helicopter and the cameras on and they talk about it elevating their effort level. Did you feel 100%. that when the cameras are on? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my, I, I was constantly focused on, you know, is my form okay? Am I, am I, you know, my, am I shutting down here? Because if I, if I see this later and I see something that I did that I could have done better, it's just going to nag at me. So, I mean, I was just, it was just this constant, like, you know, constantly doing, making sure that I was doing that. But really cool experience and and the the uh, uh the crew the the uh, cameraman and our producer uh, producer evan hathaway who is just an amazing amazing producer they uh, uh they did such an amazing production they stayed they they did their best to stay away from us so that they weren't impeding on our progress and impeding on any other racers and um and anyway so we yeah we you know racing through that i was just having this really great great race and and um when I, I usually don't know how my race is going until i get onto the run i got onto the run and i felt amazing and i i got off got on the run with a guy that i knew and he said you know i think we're in about uh, fourth or fifth place and i was like wow that's great and that was my first indication that you know i think i got a shot here because you and had so, a smoking fast bike yeah it was uh that was a that was a great such a cool bike course and such a fun bike course it, it was yeah. yeah i was we i raced it too and it was um 
that second loop, that little lollipop loop, I actually liked. Yeah. That last little section downtown. It's not there anymore. Yeah. They oh, took it yeah. away. But yeah, so you had a smoke. So you were thinking you would do like a 450. You would be super fired up. And what did you do? I did about a 452. So pretty yeah. spot on, Close. right? Yeah. 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 So I'm, I'm pretty, I was, I was working my bike so hard during that, that during that period of time. Um, and uh, so I was, I was setting these ridiculous power goals for myself and just from mental fortitude, just making sure that I would hit them. And, uh, and so it, it, it was, I think, you know, when you mentioned having the cameras in your face the whole time, um, does that have an effect? And yeah, I mean, even just having to set up my own camera and, and do the self-filming of myself, it was just one of these things where it's like in the back of my mind, all right, this is going to be out there for people to watch. And this show is called Quest for Kona. If I don't make it there, it's, you know, I, I'm, you know, I, I want to make sure that I can at least give it a good shot. And, um, and so, yeah, during the race I had, a, you know, I think it was probably the, one of the top three or four bike splits in the age group. So I was, I was really happy with that, but getting under the run, I felt really good. And that was it. That was the best run I've had. I ran at 316 and I ran into third place, which secured a spot right there. And just knowing that I got third place and like hearing my wife say that as I, as I crossed the finish line, it was just like, wow, I can't, I just couldn't believe I did it. It was, I was out of my, I was out of my uh, skin to go back to this point where, uh, you know, I was, I was, uh, uh kind of like this worthless alcoholic that, you know, that, uh, couldn't get sober or couldn't overcome anxiety or anything like that to doing this thing that I'd set out to do and accomplishing something that the, the, the pinnacle of that sport it was just it, it blew my mind and um so yeah it was it was a life-changing experience for me it was great so my question is how does one become so strong on the bike <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in a matter of four years five, five or so years yeah a lot of netflix and <laughs> yes yeah, so you do a lot of trainer a lot, you of, do a lot in, of trainer yeah. sessions a lot yeah. of indoor stuff I, I i've uh i used to ride a lot down here in camp pendleton and all that and just kind of back and forth but it's just like, yeah, like anything else for me, it's just a, a lot of trainer rides, a lot of very, very focused rides. Um, I'll do a middle week, uh, uh, mid of the, middle of the week, uh, mid distance, uh, uh, workout where I'll do maybe somewhere between 40 and 60 miles, but I'll throw in some 10 or 15 minute, really strong intervals in there, right about, just right above FTP. And, um, and then, yeah, and just try to do a lot of, I like the sweet spot intervals where I do a lot of those. Do you use trainer road? Uh, no, I use a uh, Zwift. Zwift. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I enjoy it. It's, uh, I kind of like watching yeah, geeking out here. Sweet spot is, a, is the sweet spot of cycling. <laughs> right. Um, it's just under FTP. It's like yeah. 90, 95%. Yeah. Somewhere around there. 80%. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so how many miles a week do you think you're doing? I know you're on the trainer, so I don't know if you're getting miles, but what do you, or how many hours? Probably about, uh, when I'm peaking, probably close to 10 or 11 hours on the bike. On the bike. And then, um, yeah, and then I'll, uh, but yeah, it'll, it'll use, this year I'm a little lower just because I'm, I'm not putting in that level of focus, but. Yeah. yeah. So in order to run a 316 off the bike, you got to be fit on the bike, mm -hmm, right. right? Like you got to be, so classic, classic scenario is too hard on the bike and then you don't fall apart yeah you can't run to your potential yeah. so you got really fit on the bike how are you get because you also have to get fit on the run it's not like you can just get fit on the bike and then expect to run a 315 like you got to earn that right so did running come was that something that like came to you and you're like whoa i'm pretty good at this or did you really work 
your way up from that. No, I struggled a lot on the runs in my initial uh, uh, Ironmans, and, and it was always that mile 19 just blow up. And so, um, so this time around, I, the, the first, the first run that I did really well, I did, I did a good run at, at Vineman and I said, okay, I think I, I've got the formula here for myself at least. And, and that was really just having this, this really big, uh, differentiation of, of easy versus hard. So making easy, really easy and hard, really hard. Your training. Right. Yeah. yeah. And that's. And that, that's a big that's, key. It's yeah. huge. But I, I want to hang in the great, I want to hang at my pace all day long. Like, right. This is the pace I have to hit. Yeah. And that's the mentality most people have. So it's, and again, you're being tested again. It's like, can you, can you do the thing that most athletes don't want to do? Right. right? Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was one of these things where, okay, well, uh, uh, Maffetone, you know, said, uh, or based on Maffetone, my maximum heart rate is going to be 142. All right. Well, now I'm going to bring it down to 130, and yeah, really test myself and see if I can if I can keep it that easy. But when I do hard, I'm going to try and target paces, and I'm going to say, all right, if I'm going to I'm going to do uh, I'm going to do six minutes at a 6:20 pace, and I'm going to try and hold that. Okay. Now this week I'm going to try and do eight minutes at the 6:20 pace, and 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 so it's that that easy stuff, that building that easy aerobic base, that gives you the uh, um, the energy and the power at least to be able to kind of push the pace on those long ones and then if you can recover well which uh, recovery was a big part of of, of what I started to do too so, recovery is huge because that's yeah. where you adapt yeah absolutely so with recovery of course it's you know resting after the workout but what else do you do for recovery I do uh, so I'll do uh, uh, I do the um, uh, vega plant based protein um, shakes uh, right after and that's worked really well for me I don't do really well on dairy or anything like that, but uh, that so that's that's what I would do right after a workout. I try to eat within you know the an hour or so, and then um, I also use uh, uh, something called rapid release technology, which is this. Uh, it's basically a a vibrating uh, machine that you know I can use on my legs and everything that that really helps uh, to helps my legs to recover and everything, and that's been really great. Uh, Norma Tech boots as well. I just kind of ran the gambit on on all these all these things. Plus, never gonna uh, uh, leave out sleep. Sleep is probably the most important part of it. If you need to sleep nine or ten hours, you need to sleep nine or ten hours. That's just the way it is. Um, I mean, I, I see a lot of people that are just wondering why they're not progressing, and they're sleeping five hours a night trying to get that training in. Now they need to readapt their schedule in, in some way to make sure that they can fit that recovery and the sleep yeah. in. Correctly. I love Andy Potts. He's like, I get 13 hours of sleep a night. <laughs> he gets there. He's like, he, he like his wife it's knows like non-negotiable, kid, non-negotiable kids. Everybody stay out of the room. He's got like the blackout <laughs> curtains. I mean, everything. He is so hardcore on his, on his sleep. And then he's hardcore in his training. Yeah. And he's somebody that trains all the time on the trainer, at, at least he from was. what we've yeah. heard from a, a friend of his that he trained so much on the trainer and he's had a huge long career yeah. that guy's been amazing so you're getting sleep you're recovering you're training 10 11 hours on the bike you're running you're swimming you got two kids and a wife dude oh and you have to make a paycheck there somewhere right. how are you doing all of this what what would be like a, in the high to iron man training what does a day look like well the uh, uh during that time and it does get really tough i'm not going to say it's easy or anything yeah. like that the support is the support is the key point there because if you don't have the support of your loved ones to know that they're going to be missing you for a few weeks out of that that hard time, 
um, at least uh, at least for a portion of those days, you know, it's it's not going to go well. So having that support is key, and I'm lucky to have that support. And my wife is actually she's a triathlete as well. She's she races as well, so she understands that. Um, with the kids, uh, uh, it's it's I mean it's just a lot of uh, trying to uh, manage all of that training into my schedule. I've put in a treadmill and a, a bike at my office so that I can, I can work out there and, and make sure that I can take lunch breaks or something like that. So I'll take a long lunch break and I'll come in earlier so that the traffic isn't as bad. It's really just trying to find the minutes in the day that add up to enough time to be able to, to put this training in. Yeah. There. Like everything counts. So if you can come in early to avoid having to sit in the car because sitting in the car could be a quick recovery run. Right. Yeah. Or the time to make the shake. Right. Like exactly. you really got to look at, uh, one thing I, I think I heard from Rich Roll when he was talking about like his training for Ultraman was like, he just looked at his day and looked at everywhere that he was just could get time back. Mm-hmm. And he couldn't believe how much time he was just kind of throwing away. Absolutely. I mean, we were talking earlier about television and, and, you know, we don't, I don't have cable. Uh, you know, I think you mentioned you don't have cable. And so we don't, we're not, we, we avoid that distraction. And uh, uh, so there's certain distractions that you can look at within your time that you're taking out. And you remember that I'm, I'm an alcoholic. So I spent years spending hours drinking. I mean, you know, and, and so the replacement value on that is huge. So, I mean, it's easy for me to, to say, well, yeah, I've got all the time in the world to train. Because what I'm comparing that against is somebody who was either drunk or hungover and wasn't productive at all. So now I'm able to be productive and, and work out on this. And I'll also add that the training, the type of training, you know, be it easy and all that kind of stuff, I can get work done on my bike. I can uh, better think when I'm actually training. It improves my productivity. It's, it's just uh, uh, it's, it's a change in how we think about what what training does for us and that's that's what it does for me yeah and it becomes your your lifestyle i mean it's our lifestyle we've lived it for many years now yeah and everything becomes a question of is this moving me towards my goal or moving me away from my goal and it's okay if it's moving you away but if you're telling the universe you want to get to kona and you're sitting in traffic when you know you could be doing something else then you're telling the universe I'm only dipping my toes in it. Like maybe it'd be cool if I got there, right? Yeah. Like Kona is an all-in thing and and it's a dream of many, many people. Like just not you, just not me. Like we're competing against a lot, like thousands and thousands of people who want to get there. Even those who haven't done a triathlon yet and have the goal of like their first triathlon, this is it. Like I want to get there. So... Yeah, there's more and more people every year. And then the people who go, like, I bet you want to go back, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. it'd be great to go so back. So now you're back in the mix, <laughs> right? Like, some people just keep getting back in the mix. And then more yeah. people get keep getting thrown into the stew. And I, that's why it gets... Because when you we first started racing Ironman, like, you could do, like, an 1130 or something and go to Kona. Yeah. yeah that remember, is not the I case. I remember distinctly a friend of ours who went to Louisville... And he did like a, he was qualifying, you know, the 30 to 34 at a 10, 26 or 10, 30. And I was like, okay, that's, you know, that's pretty possible. But now the stakes are so high. I mean, everybody is like cruising and there's more and more races to be had. So, um, and I don't know if they're adjusting the slots based on more races, but how does that, does that sit with you at all? Does it sit with you or is it just a non-factor that 
there's like the competition is like increasing the times are getting faster oh yeah it was it was totally a factor and it was it was a bit frustrating for me to kind of look at all of these races and say okay yeah i'm gonna do arizona this year and of course you go back to the year before and you look at the times and you're just like geez you know some of these races now you have to break nine hours to qualify and all that and so yeah it certainly sits in my head like that but then what i what i realized was that you know, it's not really about the times or anything like that. It's just about really just racing your race and racing the best that you can and getting back to the, to the, to the nature of why we're doing this, which is just to either continuously improve ourselves or just to continuously improve ourselves and, and, and prove to ourselves what's possible. I mean, I didn't think that I could do a 930 Ironman and, um, and, you know, I did it. I, I've, I've done it twice now. I never thought that I'd be able to do that, you know, a few races ago. And it's just, you know, results are just a, 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 a point, just a, a, a data point in time. And, you know, to, to say that, well, I can't, can't do a 930 because everybody else is doing a 930. That's what it's going to take to qualify. Well, it's kind of getting back to the mindset of, I can't do this race at all. You know, or going back to, I can't swim. Or I can't do that. So it's, yeah, it's, it's hard. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a challenge to race the top 0.001% qualify, but it's not impossible. It's not think, impossible. Yeah. And they're just human and you're human. So yeah. why not? Of Absolutely. course you can do a 930. Yeah. It's, of course you can. You can do anything. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's just about the work that, you know, you're willing to put in. And I put a lot of, I put a lot of work into that, that training build to get, um, and the, and the years coming up to it. I mean, I, thinking getting back to the anxiety in a way what i realized through this process of 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 training for iron man was that anxiety is yeah it's it's an issue it's a disability and if i could say something that may be helpful to anybody that may be struggling out there with it it's also a superpower it's it's also a way to to make yourself better because that upset that same obsession that i had with alcohol that caused me to to obsessively want to drink also caused me to obsessively focus on training to really look at these numbers and then say I've got to hit these these numbers when I'm training and to really dig in and do that so it's really finding finding out what your superpower is and really really harnessing that everybody's got that superpower I mean that and and I was able to just find what mine was and and capitalize on it awesome I think that's a great. I think that's a great place to wrap it up. I love that ending. Um, Perfect. Thanks. So thank you. How can people connect, wow. follow you, and also what's next? We want to find out what's next. Yeah, I've. Uh, well, I'm going to be doing Ironman Wisconsin with my wife. My wife's first Ironman. Yeah, yeah that's so, we'll so cool. Yeah. We'll be tracking you guys. Thanks. Thanks. Awesome. Yeah. And how cool. can they connect? Uh, I if uh, yeah, find out what's going on. I'm at adamhilltry.com, and you can also find me on Facebook and. Uh, um, all sorts, all the socials and all that kind of stuff. So just, yeah, adamhilltry.com is probably the best way to go. Thanks, Adam. Right on. Thank, Thank you. you, guys. Awesome, you guys. Thanks so much for checking in with us this week. If you are loving or even just liking the show, get over to Patreon and set yourself up for podcast exclusives like the extra we just put up detailing Coach BJ's nutrition plan for Utah's toughest. We will be back in Utah next year for the race. So if you're thinking about going extreme in 2019, let us help you get there. 
Team Yogi Triathlete is growing steadily and we still have room for you. So if you want a training plan that is all encompassing in assisting you to be your highest and best, not just in sport, but life, you guys, then get on board. We've been waiting for you. Also, get over to yogitriathlete.com and check out the blog post for this episode for ways to connect with Adam and show notes for this episode, including links to join the M21 Revolution, which is an insanely powerful community of people making huge shifts in their lives and blowing themselves away with their ability to deliberately create. It's $21 a month, and I promise you, what you get for $21 is invaluable. We are teaching how to change limiting belief systems. We are teaching meditation. We are teaching mindfulness practices that are immediately applicable to life. But most of all, we are teaching people how to live a life where the rules of the physical world no longer apply. We live in a world of limitations here on this earth, and this revolution is about leaving those limitations in the dust. So that's it, you guys. Thanks so much for showing up and keep showing up. Show up for your goals. Show up so you can be the athlete and person you dream to be. Show up for the work because that is what fills the space between where we are and where we want to go.